0: Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is episode number 140 of Search News You Can Use. And this podcast episode, as always, is sort of the same as what you'll find in our print version or our online version of the newsletter. You can find that at mariehaynes.com slash newsletter. There are several things in newsletter that I don't cover in podcast. So we would recommend both reading as well as listening to this podcast if you have time Time to do both of those things. Um, this, I'm recording this on Wednesday, July 8th. I can't believe it's July already. I got a notification from Google that my birthday is next week, and I hadn't even thought about it. This year is just so bizarre. In this episode, we're going to cover so many things in terms of uh, what's happened in the SEO world. I'm going to talk a fair amount on the June 22nd update, which I have been saying for a few weeks now that something happened, but we didn't think it was significant enough to pay attention to. And I was wrong on that. It actually was a significant update. So I'm going to share with you what my team and I found when we analyzed that update. Uh, We'll talk about changes to the structured data testing tool. Um, and some, uh, really, really great questions in Q and a, uh, we're going to ask, answer the question or try to answer the question as to whether your Google, my business posts will help with your EAT, your expertise, authoritativeness, trustworthiness. Um, and another question that was asked is whether updating your last updated date on the page without actually updating the content, is something that Google would see as a a negative. So I don't have exact answers to those, but I I do have quite a few thoughts on them. So we'll cover those. So let's get right into it. I want to start off by talking just briefly about this question that Gary Eash asked on Google. I'm going to ask the question and then I'm going to come back to it later to see what your answer is, because I want you to take some time to think about this. You may or may not have seen this poll on Twitter, but here's what Gary Eash asked. If you saw this and he said, try answering without the help of a tool, how will this affect crawling? If you saw in a robots.txt file, user agent star or asterisk. So we know that that means everybody. Every crawling agent should pay attention to these directives in the robots.txt file. Let's say the first line says disallow colon backslash. And the next line says allow colon backslash. Obviously those are conflicting directives. So the question is, is everything disallowed? Or is everything allowed? So think about that. Again, The all that's in the disavow, or the disavow, the uh, robots.txt file is user agent star, disallow everything, or backslash, allow everything, or backslash. What, if you were Googlebot, what should Googlebot respect there? Well, we'll come back to that as we get further on in this uh, this episode of the podcast. Again, I'll give you some time to, to think about what your answer would be. Let's talk about this update that happened on June 22nd and also June 23rd. We saw some of these effects as well. Obviously, we're a couple of weeks beyond that point. And when we started to see some turbulence in the search results, I really couldn't tie it in to something that seemed like a Google update. And then Lily Ray actually tweeted that Cistrix data was showing that there was a really, really big increase for a number of very highly authoritative sites. And she shared some screenshots that showed sites like FDA.gov saw a massive increase in search traffic uh, starting on June 22nd, potentially June 23rd. I think it was the 22nd for FDA. Um, There were other sites uh, that, uh, you know, almost all of them that saw really, really big increases up at this time were other.gov .gov sites, .org sites, um, and not just sites that were random like, oh, I happened to get myself a .org, and so Google's going to reward that, and it's going to rank well. All these sites were very official organizations, government bodies, um, and some of them were just very highly authoritative websites. So the Mayo Clinic Uh, is not necessarily, uh, it's not a government website, um, but it's still a very highly authoritative website. And so they saw improvements uh, and a number of uh, very, very authoritative sites really saw a spike up at this time. So when we looked at our data, and our data consists of uh, several hundred client sites that we've reviewed over the years. And they go across a, a very wide uh, range of verticals. Uh, and some of them are very authoritative sites. We probably have a high pro- higher proportion of medical sites uh, than actually exists across the web uh, in our in our database because uh, we got a lot of clients when we started talking about the August 1st medic update back in 2018. Um, and so we, we have a great number of sites that we review. And when we looked at our data, we saw something happened on June 22nd or 23rd uh, because we had sites that were seeing changes in search patterns that really looked typical of what we'd see with a Google update. It wasn't like there was just one page that was doing well or potentially not doing well. It was like the entire site uh, was seeing either improvements or declines. Now, in all honesty, while we did have some sites that saw improvements, The majority of sites that were in our uh, client base, our profile that we monitor, uh, that saw changes at this time actually saw decreases. They weren't massive decreases, but uh, significant enough to probably hurt the bottom line of these businesses. Uh, and so we started doing uh, what we always do with updates, and when one seems to be uh, significant enough for us to pay attention to, uh, we start looking at who actually won when our clients lost out. And so one of our clients, I, I don't want to give away their uh, what their business is, uh, because they've asked us to uh, maintain privacy for uh, in regards to what niche they're in, but uh, they write on a topic that is definitely YMYL, but it's not health. Uh, probably closer to finance than health. And what we found was that they saw probably a 15 to 20% drop across the board on most of their uh, search traffic. When we started to look at what pages were affected, and what queries were affected, we noticed that in a lot of cases, they jumped from ranking number one to ranking number two, or maybe number three. And that can make a big difference. Um, When you see a drop from number one to number two, that usually, in my opinion, does not mean that Google has said, oh, this website's bad. Rather, it's saying this other website is probably better to show users um, when your website see I think some Google updates can actually demote websites they can look at a website and say for whatever reason we feel like we can no longer trust this website that actually was a big factor of the August 1st 2018 update where we really felt like Google started to incorporate information in regards to reputation of a business and if a business had all sorts of signals across the web that were pointing to the fact that maybe people don't trust this business then uh, then it, When the August 1st update happened, businesses that had very, very bad reputation issues saw very, very large drops. Uh, and it wasn't just a drop from I used to rank number one to now I rank number two. So in this particular client's case in the financial niche where we were seeing that they had dropped from number one to number two or maybe number three for a lot of their queries, the site that ranked above them was almost always ic.gc.ca, which, for those of you who are not Canadian, uh, that is the website, uh, one of the websites for the official um, government of Canada. And so, or one of the official websites. We don't have unofficial governments, as far as I know. Um, And the point that I'm trying to make here is that in this particular situation, Google seems to have preferred uh, government organization, uh, more official information over our client's website. And there were other examples like this as well, where we would notice that, um, you know, for particular clients of ours, they just dropped a position or two, and that was because Google had preferred some type of highly, highly authoritative website. Now, we've seen this happen before. We talked about how um, shortly after the World Health Organization considered COVID to be a worldwide pandemic, uh, a lot of websites saw changes, and Google's algorithms seemed to really, really shift, whereas if you typed in a YMYL query, your money or your life. So something where you were doing research in an area that would affect your health, uh, it would affect how you spend your money, um, anything that was a very, very important query that had a a potential to have impact in your life, then um, we noticed that Google was highly preferring sites with some level of authority. And, uh, you know, I, i that could be Mayo Clinic, it could be Healthline, uh, even though Healthline is not a government organization, Google has a lot of trust in Healthline and seems to uh, promote them in terms of whenever they want to have authoritative sites that they can trust uh, to rank really well. So now, in we, we checked a, a great number of clients and saw that this happened for quite a few of them. However, we had some other clients that saw drops where we really couldn't make that tie. We couldn't say that, oh yeah, every keyword that they dropped for, like all of a sudden a government or a .org or some uh, you know, more official website was outranking them. So we don't think that this update was 100% Google preferring these authoritative sites, uh, but we do think that that was a massive component of it. I want to give an example, um, and this is a completely fictitious one because I can't give the real example away without uh, sharing uh, confidential client information, Um, but imagine in your city you wanted to get a boat license, and um, you did a search for boat license in Ottawa, boat license in whatever city you're in. There might be this article on some personal blog about the steps you need to go through to get a boat license in your city, and it might be the best article of its kind. However, the vast majority of people who are searching for boat license in Ottawa, they want to go to the website where they can get a boat license they don't want to read, uh, you know, pages and pages of super helpful information. If you think about your own searches, usually when you do that search, when you do a search that, uh, that's a search that the user probably wants to end up on a page where they can take an action to go out and get their boat license. Um, And your page that describes all of the steps you need to go through, all of the reasons why you might be declined, all of the, you know, just many, many things, how long it takes, things like that, even though it has more information, it may not necessarily be the most relevant to what uh, searchers are searching for. So it's possible that Google, I mean, whenever Google does a significant update, they tell us that it's primarily about relevancy. I think, though, that this update may um, have more to do with trust. Uh, And this comes from Google. I've talked about this before, but Google has this document on how they fight disinformation and they have a line in the document uh, that talks about how in times of crisis, they may actually prefer to rank websites that show um, that have higher levels of authority. So we actually wrote uh, a very thorough blog post on this, and it just came out uh, this morning. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't read the blog post, you can find it on our website, um, mariehaines.com slash blog, and uh, you'll see it there as the first article on our website. If you were negatively affected by this June up update. It wasn't a core update. We've got a few things that you can look at in terms of um, improving your website. However, if Google has decided that uh, they want to prefer a government website over yours, it may be challenging to change things. My gut instinct is that once things calm down in terms of uh, coronavirus. Once we start getting back to some sort of state of normalcy, and I don't know how long that's going to take, I think things will revert back a little bit. And these government sites may not be given such strong prominence in the, the results. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what uh, maybe Google will be happier with what they've got now. Uh, it's hard to say. Let's talk about the uh, rich results testing tool. Google made an announcement this week that this testing tool is out of beta. And now uh, the structured data testing tool, which most of us used, is soon going to be deprecated. Um, I haven't played around with this tool in a while. Most of my team has done uh, our research into structured data and things like that. Um, But the issue that SEOs are having with this is that the rich results tool only validates for um, structured data that actually provides produces a rich result. Uh, So a rich result would be, let's say I add review stars to a product page, and then when somebody searches for that product, they'll see that, oh yeah, my product has five out of five stars, or four out of five stars, or whatever it is. Um, And so that produces a rich result. The stars are shown in the search results. there is a lot of structured data that doesn't produce something visibly seen in the search results. And so now if Google takes away the structured data testing tool and only leaves us with the rich results testing tool, it looks like we may not be able to test some things that we wanted to implement. Uh, my guess is because they still have both of these tools out and uh, there was a big stink made by a lot of SEOs, um, a lot of prominent SEOs about the fact that the rich results testing tool is lacking. Uh, And so it wouldn't surprise me if they're working on that, and they will probably make changes before they completely take away the structured data testing tool. That's my guess. Um, Google released a a blog post this week about uh, how they handle spam. And the interesting part in it was what they said in regards to what they do with manual action, uh, with um, reports, spam reports against a competitor. So let's say you have a competitor that you see is running a private blog network or um, you know, doing something that's against Google's guidelines, and they still seem to be thriving despite that. You can file a spam report on that competitor. And we've talked in the past about how some people's spam reports are given more prominence than others. Prominence is probably the wrong word. Uh, the web spam team will pay more attention to certain spam reports than others. I would like to think that when I file a spam report, it's something that the web spam Team pays attention to because I generally don't do it out of spite. Uh, I think a lot of people say, look, my competitor's outranking me, so I'm gonna file a report on them and get them a manual review. Um, you know, when whenever I file, and I don't do it that often, but if I see a site that really seems to be getting away with something that's against Google's guidelines and it does seem to be working, then I'll occasionally file a spam report uh, to, to point that out to Google. Now, in the past, Google has said that every single one of those spam Reports is read by a human being, which I still think is the case, And that often those spam reports could lead to a site getting a manual action. So the idea was you could report your competitor, and if your competitor was doing things that were against Google's guidelines, and Google felt that their algorithms were not catching those things, uh, and that they were allowing the website to thrive and rank well, then Google could impose a manual action on that website so that those tactics don't work anymore. Uh, What this blog post said by Google is that uh, that's no longer the case. So they do use these spam reports, and they go to their engineers, but they don't go to, um, you know, cause websites to have manual actions anymore. Instead, the engineers look at those reports and determine how can we change Google's algorithms so that this type of uh, tactic no longer works. So it still is beneficial to file spam reports, I think, when you see something that really seems to be working. Now, sometimes, You can look at a site and go, oh my goodness, they have these horrible like links from directories that allow keyword anchored links and like links in low quality articles and blah, blah, blah. And you could say like, wow, they're ranking really well uh, for these terms. So I should file a spam report. And it may be possible that Google's already just ignoring those links. And there are other things that are allowing the site to rank really well. So um, this doesn't really change much in our lives, but it is interesting to know that uh, you can no longer from my understanding, uh, try to get a competitor penalized. Um, Not that we ever did that, but I know a lot of people did. Uh, But there's still benefit in filing a spam report if you do think that a site is getting away with something. And it'll help Google to be aware. Because all the time there's new techniques coming out and people try to figure out ways to game Google. Um, But Google's got very smart engineers that are, that's their job is to work against that. So if you find some sort of tactic that seems to be working, but it makes you feel a little bit icky... (laughs) inside because you think like maybe this is against Google's guidelines. Um, I would say go with your gut on that. Bing made an announcement uh, this week to say that they had updated their webmaster guidelines. Now Bing has not updated their guidelines since 2012. I remember when they did that, and I remember learning a lot from their uh, updated guidelines back in 2012. We've gone over their new guidelines now, and there's a lot of stuff in there that um, you know really makes sense. And even though uh, we can't say for certain that Google is doing the same thing, a lot of these things uh, opened up some interesting conversation for us. So one thing that the, the um, post from Bing told us is that they are now looking at the REL sponsored and REL UGC attributes. Bing says they use them as hints and not explicit directives. So that is kind of interesting. And then Bing wrote down, uh, they broke down how they rank content into six categories. So I'm just going to briefly discuss discuss these. Uh, the first is relevance. And so Bing tries to do all they can to determine that the page that you have is relevant to the query that was typed. And uh, that makes sense. I mean, Google, I think this is really the cornerstone of Google's attempts at algorithm updates lately is trying to produce more relevant results to people. The next step in Bing's uh, guidelines is quality and credibility. And they say that for authors, they're looking for transparency regarding who wrote the content. This is really... in line with what we think Google values as well. Uh, You know, we don't know if Bing has their own EAT metrics, but this is a part of EAT, is knowing that your author has expertise, uh, is known as an authority in the industry. Um, And, you know, because otherwise, you could have an author who writes fantastic content, but if they've never done the stuff, would people want to find them? You know, would people want to read their content? Uh, And that's important to Bing as well. Um, Bing also, and this was the part that was a little bit controversial. Bing also says that they use user engagement as a ranking factor. Uh, And so they said they include things like click through rate, bounce rate, whether the searcher changed their query based on the results provided. There is a book that I would highly recommend reading uh, about the history of Google. It's called In the Plex, written by Stephen Levy. You can find it on Amazon. It's uh, it's a very easy read and very, very interesting. In it, uh, they talk about one of the cores of Google's early algorithms was looking at the idea of what happens when a user bounces back from the search results. So let's say I typed in a search query and I uh, clicked on the first result. And I realized, wait a second, Google's got it wrong. I didn't mean that type of whatever. Uh, And then I go back to Google, and instead of type, I I modify my query a little bit, and then I end up on a different result. That type of thing is actually factored in by Google. And Google, uh, I don't know if they still call it this, but they used to call it the long click versus the short click. And the idea was that if um, users were consistently typing this query, landing on your website, bouncing back to Google modifying their query and landing on a different website that maybe your website wasn't the best to show for that query and I think that that still is used to some extent it's not black and white because there's so many ways I mean there's many times where maybe I realized like maybe I misspelled my query or uh, oh I didn't really mean you know this type of flower I meant this and and So, you know, sometimes the bounce back could be more my error than uh, the fact that Google showed me results that weren't relevant. Uh, But the fact that Bing says that they use click through rate, bounce rate, so bounce rate means whether people tend to stay and click through to more pages on your website, or whether they just bounce back to the search results. Uh, That tells us that, I find that very, very interesting. Again, we don't know what Google does, but the fact that search engines can measure this, uh, and that Bing uses those as ranking factors is very, very interesting. Bing also says that freshness is a ranking factor, and that quite often content that's consistently up to date can rank higher in Bing, Location can be a factor which makes sense, and also page load time. Uh, they do note that a balance can be struck between page speed and other user experience factors. Um, you know, We've seen some discussion this week about uh, if you add ads to your pages, that's going to slow down the page load time, but some of that is necessary because pages, you know, in a lot of cases have to be monetized. So, um, you know, there's a balance, uh, in that. And sometimes, you know, there could be an extremely useful tool on a page that makes the speed a little bit slower, but the page could still be the best option for people. So it's not always black and white that the fastest page ranks uh, faster or ranks better. Um, let's see here. Oh, Brody Clark, uh, posted some new stuff about, uh, Google maybe cracking down on review schema a little bit more. We talked about this back in September of uh, last year that, uh, Google told us that if you have self-serving reviews, that they do not want to show review stars for that. And so the idea is that, um, you know, if I have products on my own website and I say, Hey, we rate this as a five out of five stars, uh, the, Google doesn't want to show those stars in the search results because I could rate all of my products as five by five stars so self-serving reviews are an issue in Google's eyes what Brody noticed is that it seems like they've gotten even more strict on this so if you have noticed that you've lost review stars Uh, in the search results, it may be that Google's figured out that you actually were just reviewing your own products, your own website, uh, and they don't want to show those stars anymore. I don't think it's actually a negative other than you don't get the stars. I don't think Google treats that as a sign of low quality of your website, but uh, I do think though that it's something that you should be paying attention to. Uh, all right, I think this is a good time to talk about this question from Gary Eish about uh, robots.txt directives. So you've had time to think about it. The question was, if you see user agent star, disallow all, and also allow all, what would happen? Would everything be disallowed? Would everything be allowed? So when Gary put this on Twitter... The poll was almost equally divided. 51.9% of people said everything would be disallowed. And 48.1% of people said everything would be allowed. Uh, and that tells you that there's uh, some confusion in this area. Um, And I saw a lot of people, uh, you know, offhandedly making fun of SEOs that had the wrong answer. And the thing is, it's not clear. It's really not clear. It's kind of a facetious question because, as John Mueller pointed out, like if this was in your robots.txt file, uh, then you've got some issues, right? Because you don't understand. You can't be allowing everything and disallowing everything at the same time. So this is very unlikely to happen in real life. The answer is that everything is allowed. Um, Now, when this first came out, a lot of SEOs that said everything is disallowed, I think I understand why. And I actually had a bit of confusion in my head as well, I'll be totally honest. Um, And the confusion came from me reading at some point that Google would honor the most restrictive uh, directive. Most restrictive, meaning if it was allowed and also disallowed, well, the more restrictive one would be to say, no, you you can't crawl this content. That's But, but here's the thing. That most restrictive um, actually comes when there's contradiction between the robots.txt file and something else. And usually that something else is a meta tag, like a noindex tag. So if a page had conflicting, you know, if um, a directory had a noindex tag on it, on their pages, and at the same time in robots.txt, there was a directive saying that you should allow this directory, then Google will take the most restrictive directive uh, out of those two, because those are two different things. That's, uh, you know, meta robots and robots. I know that sounds confusing. Uh, .txt are, are two different things. So when there's conflict between those two, Google will prefer the more restrictive one. And so in that particular cases, case, those pages would not be in Google's index. However, as Eduparita pointed out on Twitter, if you look at the actual source code for what Googlebot uses when they're crawling, when they're parsing your robots.txt file, and that source code is available for everybody to find. It's on GitHub. Um, if you look at that source code, there's a line in there that uh, basically says, and this is commented in the, I'll read the comment from the code. It says, in case of equivalent disallow and allow patterns for the same user agent, allow is used. Now, there's also some some confusion because uh, things can be different depending on the user agent. So let's say um, a robots.txt file said... Uh, allow or disallow everything, but then it said Googlebot allow this one URL. Those sound like they're contradicting, but because we are specifically targeting that one user agent, Googlebot would be allowed to go to that URL. I, I'm going to leave it here because I think this is kind of a hard thing to discuss Discuss on a voice <laughs> podcast. Uh, there's more in newsletter if you'd like to uh, see this actually written out and if my words were kind of confusing. Um, but uh, very, very interesting. And what it goes to show, I think, is that documentation is not really clear um, on Google's side in terms of what they respect in the robots.txt. Several people also pointed out that, um, you know, the way you can test this very easily. So if you're not sure if a particular page on your website is going to be crawled by Google based on your robots.txt file, you can just open up search console and that information is in there. If you inspect that URL, you'll be able to determine whether uh, Googlebot is able to crawl it or not. So kind of a moot point, but very, very interesting. And I think there's a lot claim to be an expert on robots.txt files. I think there's a lot that I need to learn in that area as well. And uh, probably a lot of people listening to this as well, um, you know, saw this question on Twitter and went, man, I don't know anything. (laughs) And that's good. That's a good attitude to have because none of us know everything in terms of SEO. So always be learning. That's a a motto for me for sure. Um, What is the difference between in Search Console, discovered, currently not indexed, and crawled currently not indexed. Um, Antoine Irapret pointed out that discovered means this URL is currently in Google's cr- queue to be crawled, and crawled means it's already been crawled, but for whatever reason, it's not indexed. And that reason, we've been through this in multiple podcast episodes, that Google seems to be getting better at figuring out which content they actually want in their index. And um, Matt Baker, one of my site auditors, uh, Matt does a fantastic job, especially with e-commerce sites. So if you, um, you know, are looking to improve the quality of your website, uh, reach out to us. I mean, we have several fantastic auditors, but uh, that seems to be an area where Matt uh, really, really excels in, and so he pointed out um, that uh, John Mueller had said Uh, a little while back in a help hangout that, um, when you're seeing a lot of pages fall into either of these buckets, either discovered, not indexed or crawled, not indexed, then, uh, the site can be in an area where like Google's just not sure. And they might think that some parts of your site are okay and others not so much. And sometimes Google might crawl something, but they may, um, uh they may decide not to index it and wait for more information to, to come um, as they crawl your website a little bit more. So if you're seeing pages in this section of either discovered not indexed, crawled not indexed, and they're pages that you actually think, you know what, these are good pages, they should be indexed, then you need to be looking at the quality. And the quality doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be absolute, complete rubbish uh, for Google to ignore it. It might just be that it's just not the best of its kind. Uh, And we've been seeing that a lot, that some of these pages that in the past we could get into the index, uh, they're hard to index now. Um, And when we look, we say, well, why would Google even want to index this? Because like, Everything that is on this page already exists on sites that are ranked on the first page. So you really need to be thinking about how to make your pages uh, differentiated from everybody else who is talking on the same uh, topic. This was an interesting question from Casey Marquis uh, on Twitter. And he asked it and Danny Sullivan answered it. Now, Casey does a lot of work with sites um, that do, with recipe sites. And it sounds to me like Casey wasn't actually asking this question. He was asking because an ad company asked the question. Um, an ad company was advising that recipe sites do the following. They um, include a video uh, in the source code of their page but they include a different video that they show to users. So the video that's in the source code of the page is one that they want to be shown in the search results. And it has schema, it has the proper recipe schema, um, and and certain things that are marked up in order to give it more search prominence. But a user on the page would see a slightly different video that had ads, Uh, so it was a monetized video. Um, and so, uh, what Casey was asking is whether that's within Google's guidelines and Danny Sullivan answered saying John Mueller could answer best, but given the guidelines, I'd say, no, 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 no. He was pretty emphatic about that. Um, and the reason is because that's cloaking. If you are showing different content to search engines as you are to users, then Google can consider that cloaking and that's against their guidelines. And yes, that can be seen as a a very big negative against your site. Um... I'm going to talk about a few things we pulled out of a recent help hangout. I actually, uh, I've been starting to, to go over these again and you'll find every couple of days on Twitter, I'm going to tweet out, uh, the best things that I've found. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Marie underscore Haynes. And, uh, I try to tweet everything I learn in terms of SEO. So, uh, and I'm always trying to learn something. So hopefully you can get something from, uh, from these things we've pulled out of hangouts. Um, This one uh, person was asking John Mueller in this hangout uh, about uh, why their website was not ranking well. And they said, you know, we're building links regularly and uh, you know, it's just not working. Um, And John Miller. I'm going to read his response. He says it's something where it's very easy to get pulled down into this world of building backlinks, where you have to drop links everywhere to increase the number of links to your website, and that's definitely not what our algorithms are looking for. He goes on to say, if you just drop random links on other people's blogs, or drop links in forums, or in other places where it might get picked up, that's not something that we would look at and say, oh. This is a sign of a high quality website that we should be showing more. Um, And so he went on to uh, recommend that figuring out ways to differentiate yourself from other websites, from all of the other competitors that are out there would be a a better use of time Um, and finished with saying we'd recognize by uh, the increases in quality, not by random backlinks that are dropped or domain authority, but rather by looking at the whole picture. Uh, I'm going to be, I'm actually working on uh, an updated version of our article about guest posting and everything Google has said about guest posting. And I'm gonna talk about this situation where so many SEO companies, their main focus is in finding ways to get links. And it used to be, I, I do think there was a day where the more links you could get, they just seemed to help no matter what. And there are still some people that are listening to this and reading our newsletter that like every time we talk about how Google is good at ignoring links that just aren't truly recommendations for your content, Every time there'll be a black hat uh, or you know somebody who's been in SEO a long time that will say no no that's not true because I built all these links and it worked and my rankings improved and you know maybe that's the case maybe there still are some people that can build links that truly aren't natural mentions and they help boost rankings but it's getting harder and harder and if you think about it Google's got a whole army probably of engineers that are trying to combat this that are trying to make it so that um, I mean links. links Links still matter very much, but only if they're truly recommendations for your website or your content. Um, So stay tuned for an article from me soon on uh, my thoughts on that and on better ways uh, to go about getting links, because uh, I I just see so many people wasting so much money. Uh, There are some good reasons to guest post. I'm not going to go through all those in this podcast episode, Uh, but if you're doing it primarily to build links, it's, it's a really risky area, in my opinion, to be on. Um, this was also an interesting, uh, look at, um, uh, it was a question asked in the Google help hangout, uh, where somebody was saying they used to get a bunch of visitors and then they built a bunch of links and now they get no visitors to their blog or very few. I think it was like 10 or 30 visitors uh, a day. And, uh, here's what John said. My general sense is that the differences in traffic you're seeing from the search results is not due to your consistency on the blog but rather to something where our systems have tried to figure out how relevant this page is in the context overall that can change over time. And it can be so that you were getting 800 visitors a day at one point and our algorithms, um, the algorithms might say, Uh, maybe this isn't as relevant as we thought and you'll get fewer visitors after all. This was the line that I thought was good. It can also happen that our algorithms get updated and say, wow, this is a really fantastic page. Why are we only sending 800 people there? Now, I'd love to know how the algorithms do that. I I do think a lot of it now is connected to BERT um, and they, you know, Google's been changing their signals for many, many years, and the goal is to just surface content that's the most helpful. Um, and again, I think we need to really be careful not to be relying on links to try to make Google convinced that our content is better than it is. Um, th- another really good question was somebody asking whether Google can recognize the types of page structures you have. So for example, uh, this is a product page, this is a category page, uh, things like that. And I think I thought it was interesting that John, you can read the full um, response. I'm not going to read it all out here because we've got a lot more to cover for this episode. Uh, But again, in newsletter episode number 140. um, And John basically said, yeah, like they try to figure out which parts of the site to filter together. Um, And if they determine that like maybe 90% of the pages in a certain group of pages are no indexed, then they may spend less time um, crawling all of those pages on your site. Uh, I think that this can be relevant um, for websites that are trying to rank informational queries, but you have transactional pages. And we've seen this a lot lately, where uh, you know Google seems to be getting better at determining whether the user is looking to buy something or they're looking to get more information. So uh, we talked last week about how... Um, I believe it was last week, could have been the week before um, about how, uh, you know, Google can determine like, oh, this product page is transactional. And if you put a whole buying guide at the bottom of your product page, it may not rank so well, um, because Google wants to display transactional results for that query. Uh, And so that can confuse Google, you know, if 90% of your product pages could be transactional, but could also be informational, I think it's possible that Google can just be confused and not know how to rank your pages. Um, So really, it it still is good to have information on product pages. uh, But if you have a complete buying guide, it might make sense to put that on a separate page on your website that then links out to your product pages. Um, Google just gave, uh, John gave us another quote on structured data. I feel like this sort of recaps things we've said for quite some time. He says, we, you know, asking whether structured data is a ranking factor. Um, we do try to look at the structured data that's otherwise on the website to understand a little bit better. Is there any context that per- perhaps we're missing here? Is there any additional information that helps us to better understand this particular how this particular page stands within the website? Structured data is rarely something that we would consider a ranking factor, but rather it can help Google to connect the dots. And we like using things like same-as schema to say, uh, you know, this author that writes for our website is the same one who writes for this authoritative website you can use same as for that Um, there's a number of things that maybe you know we hope google can figure that out on the web but adding structured data can really help it make it easier for them to go oh yeah yeah that's the same you know jane doe who also writes for this publication Uh, and so that's a good reason to use structured data what does it mean if you were getting discover traffic and now it's suddenly stopped. Uh, And so the question was um, in the Help Hangout, what makes posts eligible for Google Discover? I think most of you know what Google Discover is. Uh, If you don't have an Android phone, I'm not sure if you've used it. On my phone, I have a Pixel phone. I swipe to the right and I can get uh, all of the news stories and also not just news, but stuff that's curated for me, and you can train it. So my Discover feed shows me stuff about SEO, um, but it also shows me Fortnite content uh, and it, it shows me stuff about the Toronto Maple Leafs when they're playing and, uh, you know, things that I'm interested in. And the other day, my article on EAT that we wrote like two years ago, I think, uh, came up in my Discover feed. And I think Google can see like, oh, you've been doing a lot of research around this topic. Maybe you'd like to read this article. Um, I found it interesting that the, maybe, I don't know if the Discover feed knew that that was my article or it just wanted to stoke my ego a little bit but it's cool to see your own content in a discover feed and when that happens it can drive massive amounts of traffic I think uh, I don't know what percentage it increased the traffic but we were in the discover feed for this EAT content and it wasn't just me that saw it um, because I saw a massive spike of several hundred users for about three or four days who were reading the EAT page Uh, so Google discover content can be quite quite good um, but here's what John said in regards to which types of sites they'll place in the Discover feed. He said, our systems have to be a little bit more cautious with regards to the content that we promote there because we realize that people aren't explicitly looking for that content. Later on, he says, we do try to make sure that the content we provide through Google Discover um, is something that we can really fully, fully stand behind. So my guess is for if for a while your posts were being shown in Discover, maybe they're not being shown as much anymore because our systems are a little bit more cautious with regards to whether or not this is really fantastic content that we should be promoting and discovering. So, um, um, you know, (laughs) it doesn't give us any exact things that we need to do, but if you had content that was in discover and now it's no longer there, it could mean that it's no longer meeting people's uh, needs. I know the other day, uh, Google showed me in Discover, and it was something about a particular celebrity, and I actually was interested in this story. And I clicked on, or I tapped on, because it was on my phone, I tapped on the result, and whatever the story was, it was like, there were so many ads, and it was very clearly clickbait, like, I I scrolled through several pages before I realized they're not answering this question. Like, I think it was somebody who had died, but they didn't actually die. And it was totally a clickbait clickbait article. So I very quickly went back to my Discover feed. And then there's a little uh, button you can use for feedback and said, I don't want to see pages from this particular website. So if lots of people are doing that, it wouldn't surprise me if that's in Google's algorithms to say, whoa, like a larger percentage of people than normal have told us they don't want to see this particular website in their feed. It wouldn't surprise me if that counts towards a a negative assessment of quality for that particular website. Um, Let's talk about Googlebot adding products to shopping carts. This was something that came out in the Wall Street Journal recently that um, a lot of site owners had noticed that uh, when they look at their log data, that Googlebot was putting items in the shopping cart and then abandoning the shopping cart. Uh, Apparently, the, uh, the user's name was John Smith. And uh, and Google confirmed that, yes, this is Googlebot. So it seems that this is connected to Google Shopping. And if you recall, uh, recently Google made Google Shopping uh, free for everybody. One of the things, if you join Google Shopping, you have to click a box in their terms and conditions to say, well, say that you've read the terms and conditions. And who reads an entire terms and conditions page. But one of the things apparently in the terms and conditions page is that you're actually giving permission to Googlebot to do this. Um, And so why would Google want to do this? Uh, You know, I I think, you know, they're trying to confirm whether the price that uh, gets applied to this product when you check out is the same thing that you're advertising on your website. Um, And so that could just be for Google Shopping. It's possible. Uh, and here's where the tinfoil hat theory comes in. Um, I, You know, when I saw this, I was reminded of a line in the quality raters guidelines. And there's a section where it talks about uh, whether a certain page meets a user's expectations. And uh, the quality raters are told to mark a page as fails needs met. So basically, like, low quality doesn't meet a user's needs if it has, quote, old products and models and prices, old product models and prices, outdated information, etc., And that is what the quality raters are supposed to rate that page as. Now, if we keep in mind that the quality raters... Um, what they do is not the algorithm. It's not like if a quality rater says, oh yeah, yeah, this price is different than what's advertised on uh, the website. When I went to the shopping cart, it's it's different that Google will all of a sudden demote that website, right? Quality raters have no direct impact on your website whatsoever. But If enough quality raters are noticing this, then Google's engineers might kind of figure out a way to determine, all right, how can we not recommend this website? Because it seems that they're advertising one price and then searchers uh, who actually check out are paying a different price. Um, Is this something that Google's doing? I don't know. But here's what I'm thinking. It's rare that Google gives us something for free without them wanting something from it. Do you remember when we had the authorship stuff where if you added this line of code to link your article back to your Google Plus profile, then you'd get your picture in the SERPs. Uh, And so an article written by me would have my picture and my name in the search results, uh, which was a big ego bait uh, for a a lot of people. Um, And so Google gave us that. And then Google, I believe they used that information. They probably trained machine learning algorithms. I don't know this 100% for sure. But they may have trained machine learning algorithms um, to learn, uh, you know, what about websites that haven't implemented authorship? How can we figure out whether they have authoritative authors? And uh, and they figured out ways to do that. They found connections. That's what machine learning does, right, is is Figure out not like if we measure X, Y, and Z, uh, there's the Canadian in me, X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z, uh, that uh, that's how we're going to determine, you know, our rankings. Instead, machine learning figures out what are X, Y, and Z. What are the things that we need to measure? Um, So here's my theory. I believe that once this uh, coronavirus situation in the world gets more manageable and the world is more back to some state of normalcy, I don't know that we'll ever be completely normal again, but back to some state of normalcy, we'll find Google will say, you know what, we made Google Shopping free for everybody, but now that, you know, businesses are not struggling as much as they were, we're going to go back to making it a paid service. And it'll look like that happened because coronavirus, they offered it because coronavirus, and then they took it away once the world got back to some state of normalcy, when in reality, they gave it to us for a period of time to train machine learning algorithms. Who knows? Could be wrong on that, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens um, you know, once this whole pandemic situation eases up. Uh, Here's an interesting thing for local SEO. Uh, Joy Hawkins at Sterling Sky ran a test to determine, does it make a difference which inner page on your site Google My Business links to? And yes, it does. I'll leave you to read the article, but the gist of it is that if you link to a specific URL... You can potentially rank better uh, for that service, uh, and so. But the thing is, most businesses, it makes sense to link your Google My Business profile to your homepage. Joyce talked about a few situations. It's mostly where you have multiple practitioners, and you can't get all of them uh, to appear for or to appear to rank well for your queries. Uh, very, very interesting. So, if that applies to you, I'd recommend that you read that. Let's do a couple of Q&A questions. I popped on Twitter to say, hey, I don't have any questions for Q&A for a podcast today, and I had a couple of people leave me some really good questions. Um, first one comes from Jared Carraway. And he says, one of my client's GMB posts uh, highlighting recent blog posts are almost never clicked on. Is it worth continuing to pursue from a brand awareness standpoint, even if not driving traffic directly to the site? Any chance that Google My Business posts help out EAT? And uh, Jared added in another tweet, for context, they're in the legal realm and they produce new blogs on average two to four times a week. So that's primarily what we promote. Okay, so the idea is this uh, legal website writes two to four blog posts a week and then they promote those on their Google My Business page, Uh, but very few people actually click on those, and so they're wondering, I I think it sounds like they're wondering, is it worthwhile even doing this? Um, Maybe. Does it count towards EAT? So uh, I don't have an exact answer to this, but my thought is that this would not be connected to EAT. I still think there are potentially reasons to do it, which I'll come to in a minute. But EAT, uh, when we asked Gary Isch about this before EAT was kind of like a household name amongst SEOs, uh, Gary told us uh, several years ago that EAT is primarily measured by links and off-site signals. Uh, and so um Well, there are things you can do on your website to help google understand like oh yes we are a legitimate law firm and uh you know we've been mentioned in these authoritative places those are things that you you can do to potentially help google um but really what matters is what other people are saying about your business and building up eat yes there are factors you can include on your website like um you know for example uh including citations in your um you know if you've referenced uh, a research article. Those are things that you can do on your site to improve the trust element, in my opinion. Uh, but when it comes to Google figuring out, is this an authoritative website? Is this uh, you know, a website that people really trust uh, outside of the business itself? Do other people say this is a great website for us to send people to? Um, really, Google's looking for other people. Commenting about your website when you do Google My Business posts, it's just you talking about it's. It's really no different than um, putting something on Twitter or on Facebook. You know, if I say, "Wow, I wrote this article and it's amazing," you know, that doesn't make Google think it's amazing. But if I wrote an article and say Barry Schwartz wrote about it and said, "Hey, this is amazing," well, Google recognizes Barry Schwartz as uh, an expert in the SEO industry, and that potentially could contribute to our EAT. We don't know for sure, Uh, but that's what we're kind of aiming for is what can we do to get other people uh, commenting on how amazing our business is. Now, does that mean you should stop doing Google posts altogether? It's tough to say. Um, My gut instinct is to say, you know what, even though nobody's clicking on them, it takes very little time. To actually create a Google post, uh, you know. So if it's something that takes you like 20 minutes out of your week, um, I would treat it sort of like a bulletin board. That you know, maybe it might be hard to measure uh, whether the bulletin board is improving your brand recognition, but it can't hurt uh, other than the cost involved in it. Um, the other concern that I have though is that this legal website is producing two to four blog posts a week. Now, uh, it's certainly possible for that to happen, but if that's happening because, uh, you know, you or an SEO company is writing blog posts for them, which is often what happens, right? That's a lot of the offering of many SEO companies is uh, we'll write so many blog posts for you per week. I really would question the um, quality of those posts, and so, uh, you know, If you are working with a a legal firm that can give you four blog posts a week that are the best of their kind, that are written by somebody who has legal expertise and is known as an authority in the industry, that is awesome. And you should be doing more of that. Um, But if you're producing content primarily for the point of getting content out there, you really need to look at are people engaging with that content. And if you are continually producing content that very few people want to engage with, I do believe that that can impact Google's assessment of quality for your site. Um, And so when you do produce something that's like the best of its kind, it's better than any of your competitors, Google may look at it and go, you know what, like 99% of what they produce is stuff that we don't want to rank highly anyways. So I'm not saying that's the case. I obviously haven't seen your blog posts, but be careful about that. You might find that it is better to spend time producing just one blog post every two weeks that's absolutely incredible as opposed to pumping out content my apologies if I've misunderstood the the uh, situation but I see that happen a lot um, let's end with another question here this is from uh, Will Boczek. Uh a client has a date at the top of posts that auto updates when changes are made even just a small change like a grammar fix could this be seen as manipulative by Google Um, my gut instinct on this is that it's not going to cause a problem, but it could. And so uh, I think this is a pretty common thing where, uh, CMSs will do that, that like, oh, you updated the post to like add a comma or something. So let's, you know, the, the WordPress or, or whatever CMS you're using will, uh, change the last updated date to reflect that. I don't I can't see how Google would treat that as a negative. It doesn't sound like you're trying to manipulate something. It doesn't try and sound like you're trying to like trick Google into thinking something. It's just, you know, a factor of your CMS. However, it made me think of a line that's in the Quality Raters guidelines. I actually had to go and dig it out before recording this podcast. So, the quality raters are told in many cases to look at the date a post was updated on. And sometimes it's more relevant than others. You know, an article about uh, what types of dinosaurs exist probably doesn't need to be updated on a regular basis unless, you know, archaeology finds a new species of dinosaur. Uh, That can happen from time to time. But for the vast majority of situations, you know that would be evergreen content that you don't necessarily need to be updating regularly. but a lot of content um, is it needs to be recent. Uh, and and so the quality raters are told to look at that. And um, here's uh, the quote that's in the quality Raiders guidelines. note. The date the page was created may be different from when the content was last updated or modified. When content is updated, the page will sometimes show the date of the update, not the date the page was created. Some websites always show the current date regardless of when the content was last updated. If you're curious about the content of a page, see here to try the Wayback Machine on the Internet Archive. Uh, And they talk about how to do that. Now, again, it's important to know that what Google instructs the quality raters does not mean exactly what they're doing in their algorithms, but often they're trying to mimic what they want their algorithms to do. Uh, and so if they've instructed quality raters to go, wait a second, if you're not sure if this date really reflects the date on which the content was updated or created, uh, and we think something sneaky is going on here, well then sure enough, Google's algorithms can do that too. So, uh, I don't know if this is in the algorithms, but if I was writing the algorithms, I'd probably have something in there that essentially says, um, you know, if it looks like the last updated date is just being updated because of the CMS or uh, because they're doing something sneaky um, or, you know, for whatever reason, your reason, basically, then maybe we can't trust that last updated date. And it's possible that Google might treat that date as um, uh, not, like I said, not trustworthy, and maybe they can't tell whether your content has been updated. And if that's the case, then content that um, needs to be fresh in Google's eyes in order to rank well, it's possible that maybe they won't look at your website. My gut instinct still is that things are fine. What I would probably do if you can't avoid this without changing your CMS is actually have a line in the article. Um, If you look at our articles, uh, most of them that we tend to update regularly, there'll be a line at the top that says that we write in. It's not produced by WordPress. We write in a line that says last updated on such and such date uh, with the hope that Google can figure that out. So I don't know if that completely answers the question, but um, really it comes down to whether you're trying to trick Google. Um, which sounds like you're not trying to do that. So you're probably fine. Um, I'm going to end it there because, well, gosh, we've gone on for an hour here. Uh, the newsletter has even more. We've got some link building tips. Uh, I, I wanted to cover Glenn Gabes. Uh, he's done a web story for one of his articles. Uh, we've got information on that in the newsletter. I I'm, I really think we should be paying more attention to web stories. I'm a bit of um, a hypocrite on this though because I haven't. <laughs> uh, but I think it's something that if you can grasp it, you could actually grab some SERP real estate uh, that very few people are competing for right now. So worth paying attention to. Um, Also tips in local SEO on what to do if your Google My Business listing is once again showing third party ads like DoorDash, things like that. Um, So sadly, we didn't have time to cover all that in this episode. uh, Because gosh, it's been a really, really busy week. Uh, the rest of my week is not too crazy. We've got lots of client work to do. I'm going to be working on this article on guest posting, probably pay, playing a fair bit of Fortnite. We're in the midst of a massive heat wave right now. Um, so we're just taking it easy for the summer because we can't go anywhere. <laughs> so, uh, so hopefully you're able to relax as well and not working too hard. Um, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings.